Father, we just come to you, Lord. Even for the hearing of the word, we need your help, Lord. Help us to hear. Help us to understand. Help us to receive. Help us to believe. Help us to obey. Oh, Father, it's through faith your power, your very life flows into us. I pray, Father, in the ministry of the word, whether it's a small thing or a big thing, the Lord points out, we will receive it by faith. And your power will accomplish it in our lives. To that end, Father, I commit this word into the hands. Speak, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So we are looking at how everything in the new covenant, old covenant too, but new covenant is such so more visible, so more Clarity because of the new birth. Even the old covenant saints did not understand the workings of God as a young child in the new covenant could because of the new birth of the Holy Spirit coming to reside in us. But before we go to that, we need to know actually see from God's perspective our reality before we came to Christ. And now, I look at it and I know it's absolutely true, all of us. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 1 to 3. And you he made (coughs) alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and by whereby nature children of wrath, just as others. So Paul includes himself in that, The Pharisee of all Pharisees, blameless by the law. But he understands the spiritual reality. If you go to verse 1, the first thing is, all of us, didn't matter how educated we were, how smart we looked outside, how fast we ran, how well we slept, we were all dead in our trespasses and sins. Absolutely dead in our trespasses and sins. If only we had a glimpse of what we look from heaven, eternal perspective. We were all dead men and women walking. Dead in trespasses and sins. Verse 2 says, we walked in according to the course of this world. We all walked in the ways of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, we had no clue even he existed. But we were walking exactly as he told us to. He controlled us. Absolutely. Like I said, 
There are only two manifestations on earth. Either it's Christ or it's Satan. There's no third manifestation. And we were walking according to the prince of the power of air. And the spirit that was working in us was the spirit of rebellion. So we were sons of disobedience. The spirit that was working. The spirit that works in God's children is the spirit of God. So they become spirits of obedience. And verse 3. We conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh and of the mind. Both are there. My addiction to reading was lust of the mind. What a waste of time. I look back. Boy, half my lifetime I wasted reading junk. Conducted in the lusts of the flesh and mind. And by nature, we were children of wrath, God's wrath. This is our reality. See, only when we accept our reality, we will really, really appreciate what Christ did. Okay. I remember hearing, I don't know who was it, was it Derek Prince? Who was actually talking about, he says, you have to see yourself in a slave market. It's like seen in maybe in movies or read. I've read, I've, Pastor Vijay, you will use movies. I usually use books. <laughs> so you know where we both came from. He came out of a theater, I came out of a library. <laughs> okay. So, the reality is that if you really know how a slave market worked, in the slave markets, the slaves stood on that block, practically naked. They were just like cattle. If you know how you buy cattle, they check the cattle out. No, these days, of course, you take the wet also along. They really, really check the cattle out. And uh, you have uh, checking out for diseases, for teeth, everything, health, everything, they check you out. And then they pick the good ones and they buy you. And once you're bought, you are just a thing. A, a, a man could buy a woman off the slave block. And maybe use her as a servant or as a prostitute. It was his call. Nobody had any say about it. Think about all of us standing on the slave lock. And then Jesus walks in and buys each one of us with his blood. And then says, you are free to choose to go your way. I said before you, life and death, blessing and curses, choose life. That's what he actually did. Until we see it in heaven's picture, what we were really aware and what he did. Oh boy. When we all repented and turned to God and to Christ, he made us alive together with Christ. Now we cannot walk in the course of the world. We need to walk in the course of Christ, the way of Christ. We are not under, or we should not be under the prince of the power of the air. We should be led by the spirit of God. We do not go by the lusts, conduct ourselves in the lusts of the flesh and the mind. On the other hand, by the spirit, we put to death the lusts of the flesh and the mind. And we become children of God, children of obedience.
That's what it means in Second Corinthians 5.17. When anyone comes to Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Meaning you have no history. You start fresh. No history. Your history is gone. You can carry your albums and all with you, but it's irrelevant. You see, it's golden memories and all. It's not true. The day you came to me, truly came to me, I wiped you out, your history out. You begin fresh. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's perspective from earth, okay? So don't worry about what people say. What Ultimately, what will matter is what God says. Right? What God says. But remember, we are still living under that same powers. So this is positional truth. Truth. Positionally what God says. All things have passed away. You are a new creation. All things have become new. Functional truth. Reality. Each day you and I wake up to fight. It's a battle. Wake up to the reality of this world. We wake up to the reality of the powers of darkness, though we don't see them, all of our minds, thoughts. And we wake up to the reality of the sinfulness of the flesh, starting from not wanting to get up. Or maybe even falling asleep with the headphones on. No, it's not sinful flesh, just, it's just tiredness, okay? Okay, but what I'm talking about, every day we wake up and we realize the flesh is right there. So the first thing God says is, labor to enter into that rest, the rest of Second Corinthians 5.17. Yeah, it's right there. Enter into that rest, okay? Don't walk into condemnation. Walk into that rest. He has accepted you in the beloved. Accepted you. If you turn to Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1. The beginning of salvation is the beginning of everyday post-salvation. Leaving aside the principles elementary, let us go on to perfection. What is the first thing? Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. Repentance from dead works. And faith towards God. Both goes together. First I repent of all the works that happened before Christ. And you turn towards God. And then if you see its actual result for a believer. What the Holy Spirit says in Hebrews 9 and verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ. Who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot. This is the important part. Okay? Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Meaning there's no guilt. No guilt. And it doesn't matter what the crime was. Unthinkable in the Old Testament. A lot of people struggle with this in the New Covenant too. Because they don't understand the reality of the Holy Spirit actually. What he can do to your mind. He takes it away. Absolutely. We need to realize whether you are Gentile or Greek or Jew or whatever you are. The problem with mankind is the problem of conscience. Because he was made in the image of God. No animal struggles with conscience. Man struggles with conscience. Let me show it to you. Romans chapter 2, verses 12 to 16. Romans 2, 12 to 16. 
For as many as have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. As many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves. Who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So he's talking about our conscience, whether you're a Gentile or a Jew. Your conscience is either accusing you or excusing you. And what the Spirit of God does through the blood of Jesus Christ is cleanse our conscience of all the works before we came to Christ. Just cleanses our conscience. You're clear. Absolute clear. The conscience is clear and that is an incredible beginning which did not happen in the old covenant. Your sins were covered. It was not removed. It was not removed. It is, that is what justification actually means. In Romans 4 and verse 25 and then the next verse 5.1 the last verse 4.25 who, that is Jesus, was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. He was delivered up. Therefore, having justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the death of Jesus Christ. Everything. For our offenses, he was offered. And he was raised up for our justification. And therefore, having been justified by faith, the first thing the Holy Spirit does, when he saves us by grace and declares us just, thing he does is, we have peace with God. Holy Spirit, it's something which is real. Okay, this is real. It is deep inside in your spirit. You are flooded with peace. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. He gives you peace. So how do we know the work of the Holy Spirit? Because remember, even when I am preaching, the Holy Spirit doesn't work. It's pointless. Ultimately, the Holy Spirit has to work either with the speaker, also with the hearer. Remember, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 37, how we know the work of the Holy Spirit. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And who cut them in the heart? Just the Holy Spirit. Cut them to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? So it was the Holy Spirit that cut them into the heart. Another scenario, Acts chapter 7, verse 54. Another person, servant of God is preaching. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. Both is the Holy Spirit. Reaction. Okay. That's what I said. The ministry of God's word cannot be neutral when the Holy Spirit is present. It will either cause you to repent and ask, Lord, what should I do? Or you will be so mad at God that you want to kill the speaker, meaning you want to cut that voice out. Then ash their teeth. That's one of the two things. Either we'll raise the volume or we'll change the channel. Raise the volume because you want to hear clearly what he has to say. Or we switch to another channel. So the Holy Spirit is never neutral. Okay, so you need to understand. Because if you are neutral... 
when we are hearing the word of God, then you are under the law. Meaning you are a student of the law, not a disciple of Christ. You know the Pharisees also had lots of disciples. And the only purpose was to take notes. Lives never changed. Because in their teaching, the Holy Spirit wasn't there. Though they taught from the same book. Took copious notes. But Jesus' disciple, what you see, the difference is, is life. Life. They, they receive the word of God as life, meaning it changes, their life changes. So one of the major crises that happens to the disciples of Jesus Christ, those who have followed him, the question is, how does a disciple of Christ slowly become a disciple of the Pharisee? Simple reason, he stops repenting. Stops repenting. Repenting, it's like, you know, think it's basically changing how you think. Let's put it simple. Changing how you think about life. He stops repenting. He starts hearing without repenting. And hearing without repenting is of no use in the kingdom of God. No use in the kingdom of God. Because God does not give information out. God is not in the business of no, giving information. What he is offering us is life. And Jesus has very strict indictment about it when the word of God does not become life. Repent, meaning turn to God, faith towards God. And you will see immediately the effect of it. Romans 5 and verse 2. Peace with God and then through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Grace is the manifest power of the Holy Spirit. The minute the word of God has has cut us and we turn towards God and we respond, power flows in. It is impossible for the power not to flow in. It flows in. So what does the enemy do? Look at how the enemy works. If the enemy cannot stop us from hearing, and we know this is true, cannot stop us from hearing, he will turn what we heard and tell us to do it in the flesh. Galatians 3.3 And then he sits back and he laughs. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Okay. He says, you can never be perfect by the flesh. What you heard is true. But the problem is, you have to do it also by grace, by the power of God. And that's what he's talking about. How did you become so foolish? The devil now sits back and laughs. Because it does not matter how good your and my intentions are or how much we struggle to get it right. If it is in the flesh, it will fail. So the only solution is, every time we hear the truth, we need to turn back to God with the truth. Okay, let's look at the example in the in the in the in the book of Acts, chapter four. They are facing an actual situation. They are facing a crisis. Verse twenty-three onwards, they were preaching. They got arrested. They got beaten. They were released. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And solution? So when they heard this, they raised their voice to God with one accord. 
What was the answer? What was the answer? The answer was found in their prayer room. They didn't look for an answer in the flesh. They didn't look for a solution outside of God. They got in their prayer closet. And they started crying out, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? You see, even when they are praying, they are praying in the spirit because the word of God is coming in their prayer. Okay? It is not simple prayer. And they are going all the way to the Psalms. Okay? And they are praying the word through and bringing to God's remembrance his own word and see what happens. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together. Yeah, keep going. To do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that all boldness may speak your word. They have come with this. They have a solution. What is the solution? The solution is that we want to speak your word. We are not going to shut up. This is too important to keep quiet. Nothing is going to stop us from giving this good news out, the gospel of Jesus Christ that sets man free. So Lord, give us the ability, the power. And verse 30, by stretching out your hand to heal, okay, it's gone. Stretching out your hand to heal, Excuse me, just a second. Perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And verse 31 says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. They were facing a situation. And what they did is that they didn't run to the flesh. They ran to the prayer room. And they asked, and they received. They saw the problem. They understood the answer, but they did not try to do it in their strength. They went to God and received the Holy Spirit even more, and they went out. And now what has happened is, truth and grace have met. And that's how Jesus came. Scripture says, law came through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This is the key part of Jesus' life, now the church is imitating. If you look at Jesus' life or anybody's life, there are two parts, two parts of Jesus' life. One part is the battle against sin. The second part is the battle to do his will or the works which God wants us to do. I put it together and put it as the format in the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, when you talk about a day, because of the Jewish way of calculating, which is God's way, he says the evening and the morning was the first day. And it's one whole. You can't take the day alone and say that is the day. You have the evening, the night part, the dark part, and the day part. Put it together, it becomes a day. And God says that's how I divided a man's life too. He has a dark side, and he has a side that which is which is of light, meaning there is a side of us which is hidden from others. And there is a side of us 
which is revealed before others. He says when you have one, that side which is hidden from others, then you don't have to worry about the side which is revealed to others. We are always worried about the work we have to do. He says, no, you have to in your closet win your battle over sin. Then you go out. You don't worry about your works. Your problem is you are not worried about this. You are always worried about that. That's not how Jesus operated. Jesus always operated by winning over that other side which was hidden from everybody. And the first thing we have to win consistently every day is the battle with the flesh, the battle with sin. Then go out and do his works. And both are part of his will. Both are part of his will. You see, the crowds only say his day life. They only saw his works. And they flocked to experience his works. You will never see anybody in the crowd ever asking him, please teach us to pray. They never saw it. The disciples saw that hidden side of him. Okay, And that probably happened the first time John pointed them to Jesus and they followed Jesus. He says, what do you seek? He said, come and see. And scripture says, they stayed with him that night and they probably had a picture of his prayer life and his victory over sin. That the flesh does not bother him at all because that's his that's his hidden life. Okay, so we thought that our work becomes tedious. It is a struggle because our conscience is constantly condemning us. You know what? You are a hypocrite. Sometimes excusing you, sometimes accusing you. Sometimes you have a good day because you won your battle in secret over the flesh. And that day your conscience also says you are a good boy. Next day you have fallen terribly, but outside you still have to look good. You have to be a good boy. No? So you have a good day outside, but you are miserable inside because your conscience is accusing you. Because you can't escape your conscience. So God says, learn from my son. The prayer life. Come and see the prayer life. The problem is when they looked at his prayer life, they couldn't imitate it because they were too lazy. No, too lazy. No, that's what people are. I mean, why do we preach? Like we. I'm not talking about not now as such. Primarily, why do we preach so much? Because the congregation is lazy. They won't do their homework. So we have to take it, chew it, and give it to them. They don't want to do their work. So they said, no, what do you want? Pastor, can you give us uh, five steps to study the Bible? After 5,000 steps, we are still struggling. They want five steps. Give us three steps how to overcome sin. Three steps. So, they don't want to imitate his life, so they come and tell him, teach us to pray. Because they wanted a formula. He said, you want a formula? I'll give you a formula. So, this is the sum total of my formula. They didn't realize it was a sum total of his entire prayer life. 
your name, your kingdom, your will. Help me to live one day at a time, trusting you for every need I have, one day at a time. I will not ask you for tomorrow. I'll only trust you for today. Help me to forgive everything and everybody. Protect me from the power of the evil one. And all this will be done only by thy power. And therefore, always the glory will belong to you and you alone. And my flesh will never boast. And they said, we don't want to learn to pray anymore. <laughs> this is too much. This is what the Lord's prayer is. This is what the Lord's prayer is. He said, you want a formula? I'll give you a formula. Okay. Are we getting the picture? Hebrews 5.7. This is for me. From the day I saw Hebrews 5.7. I don't know. I've been preaching Hebrews 5.7 for years. It was an eye-opener for me. Who in the days of his flesh? Remember, only the disciples saw this. Only the disciples saw this. And we don't know who the writer of Hebrews is. It can't be any one of that leaven. It has to be one of the others. Either it is Paul or Apollos or somebody else. I don't think it's one of the disciples who actually saw. So whoever wrote this also is receiving it by revelation. This is how my son prayed when he was on earth. And he was in the same flesh like you and me. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death was heard because of his godly prayer. Only they saw. So you look at it, his entire dark side, we are talking dark, not in the sense evil side, the hidden, let me put, the hidden side of his life was entirely connected with one thing. Dad, let me not sin against you today in anything. No. Let me not sin against you in thought, in word, in deed. So help me, God. And the Father helped him. Absolutely, I love that prayer. So you know what? It was absolutely clean. Absolutely clean. So hearing was very easy. He didn't need to struggle to know what he needed to do during the day. It was very clear. Why did he cry out to the Lord so much? It is not the work that he was going to do. Because when you are a preacher, what do you do? You preach. It's not a difficult thing. You know, you have called to preach. And in his case, he's an itinerant preacher who's setting the uh, format of the kingdom. So he's going to preach. He's going to heal. He's going to set people free. All kind, And it's going to be all kinds of crowds. The motley crowd. You know how people are? If you've ever been for meetings, you know, everyone in the crowd ultimately is so overwhelmed by their problem, they only think about themselves. They never think about the preacher. Never think about the preacher. Okay? Never think about the preacher. No. And he has to see that today I may have to minister to maybe 3,000 people or 300 people, or 500 people. Lord, from the first one to the last one, let me not lose your compassion. You see, when you are doctors, especially government doctors, private doctors have nice smiles, but, but government doctors, no. Next one. Oh, okay, go. Next one. But that's not how they began. 
when they began, they were very nice, very kind. They took time and this thing. And after some time, you know, you've seen patient after patient after patient. It's just another job. You know, another job. But you can't do that in God's kingdom. It's not a job. It's life. You know what he's praying for? Lord, it's easy to preach. But when people are falling asleep and they are not interested, let me not change your doctrine. Let me not change your doctrine. Let me not change anything about your word. Lord, when sick people are crowding around me and I know they will take their healing and they will go, they will never come back to hear the word. But Lord, let me not lose your compassion and your kindness. Let me know. And the Pharisees will come with their notebooks. Lord, help me to be absolutely severe with them as you would be. Let me know how you will live through me, the severity of God and the kindness of God. Let me not take anything from anything. Let me die so that you live through me as a preacher. And for that, O oh Lord, help me to overcome. I'm talking in terms of a preacher in his case. And scripture says he was hurt because of his godly prayer, godly fear. This is his, this is his life. It's like Daniel. Daniel had an incredible prayer life. So he had already dealt with all the powers of darkness in his prayer life. So when he was thrown into the lion's den, the lions also were quiet. They were also quiet because he had already overcome all the lions in his life. You know. They saw this life. They saw this life. But they could not imitate it. Till the very end they could not. They knew it all. Like you wake up in the morning, Peter wakes up in the morning and he says, oh, all the crowds have come for us. That means Peter, that means Peter woke up late. Because the crowds are already there. They already know where he would be. And they said, either koi jangri san hai? Is there any secluded place over here? And the Malik will say, the landlord will say, yeah, that's why there is this place. It's a deserted area. That's why he will be there. Would have gone. They knew it all. They knew the entire format of his life. But the problem is there was nobody ever praying with him. Till the very end. Luke 22 verses 45 to 46. He rose up from the prayer and had come to his disciples. He found them sleeping. From sorrow. Well, if you are sorrowful, you should be praying more. But they were sleeping. You can sleep in sorrow too. And he said to them, why do you sleep? Why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. This is the last hour. After that, he's going to get arrested, he's gone. Meaning from the beginning of his life till the end of his life, they saw his prayer life and even when he requested them to stay up and pray with them, that didn't change. Mark chapter 14, verse 37 and 38. <clears throat> he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Yeah, Simon. He doesn't ask the others in this case. Why? Because you are the one who has already been warned. <laughs> You're going to betray me three times and you said you will not. You should be after getting the warning. After getting the warning, you should be praying more. Meaning, 62 days of lockup is over. Has our prayer life changed? Because this is the biggest Fog horn God has blown in human history in the modern time, the last 60, 70 years. He's telling, it is here, the end has begun. It is here. Life is changed forever. It's not going to be the same. 
powers of darkness are allowed to have free reign. They are being released. He says, has your prayer life changed? Watch and pray. It's a warning given in the last days by Jesus. What I tell you, I tell everyone. Otherwise, you will not endure till the end. Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh is always weak. The problem is, do you allow the flesh to continue that way, or are you going to fight it one day at a time? That's the key. At the end of the day, it is it is not about the rest about the it is not about the works of light. What we talk about the works, that's, that is not what is important. What is important is by the time this pandemic is over and lockdown normalcy kind of occurs, our prayer life would have changed. Otherwise, it was a worst waste of time. Our prayer life has to change. The prayer life doesn't change because they understood. They, everybody gathered around Jesus. They wanted Jesus, everything to do for Jesus. But the disciples knew why he was different. And they knew it was different. It was because of his prayer life. And then the writer of Hebrews gives us a little glimpse of his nature of his prayer life. The nature of prayer life was that he was simply battling one thing. I will not sin. I know that's your will for me, therefore the will for everybody, for God. But I can't do it on my own. I want to cry out to you so that you give me your power of your Holy Spirit to overcome this every day in thought, in word, in life. And that changed everything in his life. That's why we don't see that part. Nobody loses in the light first. We all lose in the dark first. The evening and the morning was the first day. That's how the order is put over there. The evening and the morning was the first day. Not the morning and the evening. And you will always see about Jesus when it was still dark. He rose. And that's the rest of the day the description is completely given. The Holy Spirit has to empower our prayer life. And for that, we have to have an equal desire and cry out to the Lord and say, Spirit of God, and we have to be very clear, what is that we want to be empowered in our prayer life? We are seeing here, this is where. Okay, Lead me not into temptation, deliver me from evil. He gives the format and that was his prayer. This is how you need to pray. And that was his prayer. And you will see, after he rises up, ascends, the church began with a prayer meeting. But there's a difference now. The difference is those church members, 120 of them, who are born again of the Spirit and not filled by the Spirit. Their prayer life is different before and after. In chapter 1 of Acts, verses 12 to 14, we will see the prayer life. They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, from where Jesus said, okay, they came which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath's journey. Again, it's gone. No signal. Yeah. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew. James, the son of Alaphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. And what does scripture say? This all continued with 
one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Now, finally, his family has joined the prayer meet. Okay? And they're all gathering there. This is before the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. But you will see verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up. They're restless. They're restless. They still, because the Holy Spirit hasn't come upon them in power, they are restless. They can't wait. And Peter, as usual, is the most restless of them. He stands up and makes a declaration about Judas. And he also quotes from the word of God. And he quotes correctly. And he says it is not good. This one way is seat vacant. One seat vacant. We need to elect somebody. As if God's kingdom people are elected. And you will see in Acts 1 and verse 26. The flesh is rising actually. The last act. And they cast their lots. And the lot fell on. Now what is? This is the last act. Under the law. Final act under the law. Because the casting of lots is from the law. And you know what the next verse is? The day of Pentecost came and the Holy Spirit came. They could have waited, no? The last final act. Cast lots. After that, nobody is casting lots. The Holy Spirit is speaking very clearly and leading. This is the difference between a restless prayer life and a prayer life that is animated by the Holy Spirit because He speaks very clearly. He tells you what to do. And you will hear. And after that, you will never hear about Matthias again. He must have been a godly man, served the Lord, and probably died as a martyr. We do not know. So we will see in Acts 1, Peter speaking. We will see Acts 2 also, Peter speaking. What a difference between those two. What a difference. What is the difference? In Acts chapter 1, we see a man born of the Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, see that same man now baptized in the Holy Spirit. One leads to the flesh moving. The other leads to the Spirit moving. So our priority first is not to do. Our priority first is to hear so that we can be. And we cannot hear until the flesh is made still. This is a daily battle. Our battle is with the flesh. We don't have to worry about the devil or the world. If you've been in our battle with the flesh. We don't have to worry about either. And if you look at Jesus' pattern of life, okay, the pattern for the believer, once he's come to the Lord, baptized in the Holy Spirit, because he has the power now, each day, because every day is new, you go to sleep, you wake up, and the first thing you realize is the flesh is awake and well. It's well with my soul, the flesh sings in your ears. How do you know? He has his own language where he says, why don't you turn around and sleep? That's why some people have many alarms in their 
don't worry i also have 7:30 7:35 and not depending on what time i sleep if i sleep like 1 o'clock 2 o'clock then accordingly okay so that you still get 10 minutes for the flesh after the first alarm rings <laughs> okay so in the morning what happens is uh, every day every day the battle is new it's fresh The, the flesh is not going to die. I have crucified my flesh. It means it's crucified. It gets off from the cross immediately. You have to put him there and keep him there. So every day begins with surrender. Okay, and we saw that with Jesus in Hebrews 10 verses 5 to 7. We saw that very clearly. What is this surrender? Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, "Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me." in burnt offering sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure then i said behold i have come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will because first thing forget the volume of the book what is written about me first thing is surrender before the volume of the book will open for you a lot of people want to understand the bible without surrendering to the bible first without forgetting this is a living book if the holy spirit doesn't come upon that book it is just another book you can gain wisdom you can gain knowledge you can understand history you can do lots of studies and all but when the spirit of god comes it becomes life and for the spirit of god comes if he has to come he's looking first how you approach the word is there surrender when jesus christ when he came into the world he comes with surrender every day it is an act of our will it is an act of our mind it is an act a surrender of our desires we don't realize we know the three compartments the mind the will and the emotions the soul part all three all three and people you know what they do let us put my train up there my poor train you've been hidden for a few days this imagine this as your soul you have your mind you have your will and you have your desires and it depends upon where it is some people the desire is in the middle the will is here and the mind is okay some people the mind is over there okay it's all depends but the problem is when you surrender you have to surrender all three a lot of people surrender their mind they don't surrender their desires and they wonder my thinking is changing how come my desire is not changing everything has to be everything has to be because repentance which means a change is a change of your mind the change of your desires and a continuous change in your will because what happens is your will is changing is mean your will is getting stronger and stronger towards god and if your will doesn't get stronger and towards god the main warning of jesus christ you will not endure how do you endure till the end because endurance has been been built into your will it's an enduring will it has to change it has to change your will has to change and suddenly no because you can have a strong mind and you walking on your desires but your will is very weak the flesh still operates through the will ideas are all great i need to do this i need to do this i need to do this i need to desire is also there is i want to be that i want to be that i want but the will is so weak it is attached to the flesh 
So what does it become? A pipe dream. It just remains like that. It never becomes reality. The problem is not that your thought life didn't change or your desires didn't change. Your will was very weak. The will also has to be surrendered. And that's what Jesus is doing every day. We saw that yesterday, two days back with Paul, with Joseph has examples. What will you have me do? Joseph was saying, and he does. And the fact of the matter is, yes, it's a period, it's, it's a time. This is a process. But sometimes many, many, many children of God take years and years and years. You know what? To surrender itself. Forget change. The first part of your growth in Jesus Christ is surrendering. And that's how Jesus begins. As he came into this world, he said, behold, I have come to do your will. To come to that point itself, how many years do people... They understand that as an idea and they think it's a wonderful idea, but they will not commit themselves to anything. They will never commit themselves to God. I got saved in the month of October and in the month of December I had already said, here I am, full-time, having no clue what full-time was. You don't have to know everything. You just surrender and then he works it out in your life. You know? The thing is that often we really, 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 really struggle. At some point, you will always see the people who have really, really changed very fast. It didn't have much to do with their mind changing fast or desires changing fast. It's because they surrendered. And then God was able to really speak to them. Because how would you speak to, how would you speak to somebody who has not really surrendered? You don't know whether you'll come to work tomorrow or not. What do you want me to do? The first thing is, will you come to work six days a week? No, maybe. Okay, then I will. <laughs> a lot of Christians are maybe Christians. Maybe Christians. No? And we have this entire setup in our mind by thinking that if you surrender to will, meaning all joy in life is gone. Because you think about God as a joy killer. That's that fellow who hit that talent, remember? I know you were a hard master. So many. I mean, why do Christians don't surrender to God? Because they have the same attitude of that fellow. They think he's a very hard master. They think he's a very hard master. And he's not. He's not a hard master. He actually said the burden is light. So the question is, what is our desire? Depends upon what we hear. What do we really hope for? Everybody is talking about pandemic. What is our hope? This was Paul the disciple's desire. Philippians 1 and verse 20. Then everything gets into picture. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed but with all boldness as always. So now also Christ will be magnified in my body whether by life or death. This is his hope. Look at his hope. He said this is my expectation and hope and I will be never ashamed of anything that I go through in life. Meaning whether in life or death I want Christ to be magnified in my body. This is his hope. Accordingly, all his desires changed and God could speak to him. 
If you were to ask me, Paul, what do you want to be? He would say, I want him to be. What do you want to be? I want him to be everything in my life. And it's very easy for God to speak to that man. You know, Galatians, Peter and all, stepping backwards, Barnabas and all, you know what? And this man, the thing why I'm saying, if people think that I'm getting tough, I'm not getting tougher. I'm saying we have very little time left. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. We don't have time left to change. It's not going to be easy now. The pressure is going to increase. It's not going to be easy. And I will tell you, God will pull in people left, right, center into his kingdom. And this is the least, it exactly will be when he walked on earth. Like he told the Pharisees and all, you are all outside the prostitutes and the tax collectors, what we call the riffraff of the society, they're all walking in. And he says, I will welcome them. You may call them a prostitute, I call them my princess. They're all getting in. And you know they have no issues with surrender. They're no issues. They don't think in terms of loss. For them, everything of Christ is gain. Everything. Why is a Samaritan woman? Why did Nicodemus come in the night and go out in the night and never spoke about Jesus even when the Sanhedrin was gathering? How come he never came? He kept quiet in the trial too. Why was he very quiet? Because he was always thinking in terms of what he would lose. Why, how come the Samaritan woman for whom Jesus walked all the way, sat down, she had six husbands, five husbands living with the sixth fellow, meaning in all terms she's a prostitute in the eyes of, and she received Jesus' word so graciously, happily, and she ran and declared Jesus to the whole town. What is the difference between, because she had nothing to lose. For everything was gained, Christ was gained. For Nicodemus, he looked at as Christ has lost. And this is our issue. That's why the Bible says the gospel is preached to the poor. Poor. How do we see, after come so far, how do we see our time spent in prayer as loss or gain? Our life spent in meditating, working on the word to become life as loss or gain? This is what he is talking about, his hope. Once our hope is right, then faith also becomes true. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for. Right? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. If you ask Paul, what's your what's your hope? He will say, Christ is magnified in me. So his faith was absolutely true. Look in 2000 years of history. Do we find any man comparable to Paul in whose life Christ has been magnified? Because that was his hope and that became his faith. What do you hope? It's a question God is asking. Hope is connected with something that can happen in future. And faith is connected with what happens today. But what happens today is connected with what you hope for tomorrow. And if you ask Paul, what is your hope? That Christ is magnified. Christ is magnified in my body. Alive or dead, I don't care. I just want him to be magnified. So it became a reality for him in his faith life. And everything changed. Everything changed. And God has shut down the whole world down. Everybody is like kind of lost their jobs in their millions. Everybody is living from hand to mouth, especially in nations, western nations, where people live from paycheck to paycheck. They are waiting for a check to come from the government. We don't go through so much in India because we never lived paycheck to paycheck and life was never like that. But even in India, the poor are suffering like crazy. But the question is, we see all this, have our hope and desires changed? You know, 
I believe 90% of the Christians are still hoping for everything to come back to normal and go back to their old life. When will our hope change? When it will become real, where God says, think about things that are above and not things that are below. No? Because things that are seen are temporary. What is coming is eternal and permanent. And who does this? The Holy Spirit does it. When will you do it? When our will is surrendered and our hope is according to his hope for us. Then he's able to empower us. You know how Jesus prayed? And why Jesus could always but rely on the Holy Spirit to empower him every day? Because that was his prayer. I don't want to sin against you. I don't want to sin against you. I want to magnify my father in life or death. And everything I want to magnify him. So Spirit of God, help me. And Spirit of God, I'm there with you and for you. That's the kind of prayer my father likes. So it's not a question of with whom you walked, how much you heard, how much you saw, how early you came. None of those things are irrelevant because Paul did not walk with Jesus. He did not see anything with Jesus, did he? was never one of the disciples who sat with him and asked him questions and answered all this. He was not one of that. He came in much, much later than all the others. But why did he run far ahead of all of the others? Simply because his heart was in the right place. He surrendered. He surrendered. And people like Paul, Jacob and Paul, Jacob in the Old Testament, Paul in the whole New Testament, all give us incredible hope. You can come late into the kingdom of God. It does not matter. It does not matter what background you came from. Peter and the apostles, Christian background, had a better Christian background and a resume than Paul. Paul had a terrible background. Wherever he went, people always used to tell you, do you know who this dude is? And some of the people, when people Paul walked into the church, must have walked out of the other door. Because he said, you know what, one of my cousins, this guy was responsible for his death. There would have been many, many relatives who walked out. Bible is silent about it. Because they look at, yeah, he was that guy who arrested and put all the Christians in prison. He walked in, they walked out. But his conscience was clear. Absolutely clear. That's what God does. Your past does not matter to me. Your present does. How you deal with me on a day-to-day basis and allow the Holy Spirit to live through is what matters. For all that you did that, it's upon my son. The problem is, we want all our sins, that is our past life, upon Jesus Christ. But we don't want his life in our present life. We accept the death of Christ, we don't want the life of Christ. We want his death, but we want our life. God says, what kind of an exchange is that? What kind of an exchange is that? This is where we struggle. On the other hand, the the power of the exchange. I can take all my dirt, all my muck, all my past and put it on him and he says, gone on my son. Now would you take my son's life? And my Holy Spirit is waiting for that. And when he does, he does. When he comes and he comes. He changes our thoughts. He changes our desires. Above all, He strengthens our will. For me, that's important. Strengthens our will. So that we will endure till the end. He who endures till the end shall be saved. You know how life changes when the Holy Spirit comes? In Romans 8, 26. 
like the spirit also helps in our did you know what is our weakest area in life our prayer life he says did you ever call my holy spirit in to pray you're still trying in your flesh okay um june is coming from first june onwards i'm going to really change my prayer life he says aren't you still doing it the same way the same failed method how many times you tried so many things in the flesh has it ever worked why do you think it worked for my son because he tried it in the flesh no he tried it in the spirit he went cried and said spirit of god help me to pray he says the spirit will help you in your weaknesses didn't jesus say the spirit is willing the flesh is weak but will we accept the weakness of our flesh this is what i said the subtle trap of the enemy when he knows your mind is right your desires are right he will take you to the flesh for we do not even know what to pray for as we ought the holy spirit himself makes intercession for us with he becomes our intercessor meaning people will say i wish i had a prayer partner god says no you don't need a prayer partner you have a prayer partner you won't pray with him Lot of people say, "Oh, I wish I could have a prayer partner." It's good to have a prayer partner, but first, let me ask you this question: Did you at least pray with the Holy Spirit? He is waiting. He will never say this too early for me. Can we agree on which time we both can pray? And suddenly you realize your time does not work because one person wakes up in the morning, other work wakes in the night. One has this shift, the other has shift. So we will find out when. Okay, four thirty in the afternoon to four forty-five, we will pray. What a prayer team! Here is somebody who is waiting twenty-four hours a day, saying, "Child, will you pray with me? Will you pray with me?" We never call him. We call everybody except him. And the Bible says he is there. But that's the most important part of our life is our prayer life. The most important part of Jesus' life, the victorious part of Jesus' life, was his prayer life, which was hidden. Only the disciples saw him, and in Revelation we see everything else we see, but everything else was a result of this. Like we use the usual illustration I talk about, Titanic sank. Why did Titanic sink? Because it hit a iceberg. Which part of the iceberg sank the ship? Which was under the water. not the one which was above you above you saw but that did not sink the titanic what sunk was iceberg which was below the water you know what sunk the enemy which was jesus prayer life it was not his ministry his ministry has been duplicated by so many people but his prayer life has been rarely duplicated by any man it's easy to duplicate his ministry greater things than you think these you shall do find me one man who prayed greater than him we'll have to wait for heaven to reveal if anybody prayed more than him meetings yes i have preached more than jesus I have traveled in more countries than him at least by recorded this thing he walked in around 40 50 square kilometers that's all prayer life See, everybody wants to do the works of jesus christ and this is the work will change our life and always i say the christ tabernacle is no 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 known for his preaching but the profile is not preaching i picked up one person in the church i know who prays and a little baby who was an orphan caught them in one moment with their heads down and put it as the gtc bible this is what a church is a church is a church that prays and out of that springs everything i pray is that at the end of this pandemic when it is over at least 
I don't, I don't even put a number or a percentage or anything. The prayer life of people will change. And there is somebody here. We, we, we love it, no? Oh, the Holy Spirit is a counselor. Yeah, yes, I want counsel. He's a comforter. Yeah, when I'm upset, I want him to comfort me. He's the teacher. That's what I was waiting for. The anointing will teach us anything. And then the Holy Spirit helps you to pray. Please, leave me alone. I love sleeping. The Holy Spirit is all these things. All these things. But this is the key part. He helps you to pray. And that ministry of the Holy Spirit, we put it away. But this is the most important part. And that was the disciples saw. And even though he, sometimes he was up in the mountains, he come down, the disciples are there, they can't do it. They try everything, every trick for me. You can, you can look at this great preacher called Jesus Christ, find out his methods of deliverance, apply it, and it doesn't work. It is like Gehazi's rod. Gehazi is going with Elisha. says, take my rod. Here, take my stuff, Gehazi. Take it. Okay. And lay it on the boy. Gehazi runs and puts. Nothing happens. Because the rod is Elisha's, but the hand is Gehazi's. It does not work. So they try. And then they sell. He comes and he says, get up. Lord, why couldn't he? He says, some kind come out only with much fasting and... What does it mean? His life is entirely a life of fasting and prayer. That's why it left. He's not saying, because I am the son of God, these demons are living. He says, these are going because my life, you know how it is. I fast, I pray, and they are living. He's talking about his hidden prayer life. Otherwise, you cannot give a doctrine like that. Here the demons, which they all tried, did not leave. And at his word, it left. And then they asked him, how come it left when you said, and it didn't leave? Like He says, some kind come out only with fasting and prayer. What is he talking about? I've been fasting and praying. And it left. And still will they fast and pray? No. They will eat and sleep. You see, that's what I said. The things are there all there in our Bible. It's clearly mentioned the life of Christ Jesus. And the Spirit of God is there. God says, my Spirit is there. He is waiting. The Holy Spirit is waiting there. And He says, you know what? You don't have to do a thing on your own from today. This is what Jesus was talking about. He'll be with you. He'll be in you forever. you never in your life. He says, good for you that I go. Because if I am here with you, I can be only with one person. Or if you all have to go in one direction. If I put it into two groups, I can be only with one. I have to leave the others. But the difference is when the Holy Spirit comes. Now I have given you a part of my anointing. But that's not the way. That was what happened in the Old Testament. Here it is going to be different. He says, the Holy Spirit will be with you like was with them. But he will be in you. And he will fill you. And he will teach you all things. He will teach you how to pray. No? And he starts revealing. He becomes our intercessor. Prayer partner. He becomes our teacher. We know that very well. John 16. To all the young believers who are hearing, even if you are hearing for the first time today, it does not matter. You just ask, repent, ask Jesus to forgive you and ask the Holy Spirit to come. And you will see things will change. Sorry, John 16 verses 13 to 15. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. But the question is, do we want to be guided into all truth? What is the purpose of truth? Or what is the function of truth? 
sets you free. The problem is, do you want to be free? It's like the way they catch the monkeys in the jungle. Right? They get that big, heavy metal pot with a small mouth and they put a banana in and leave it there. The monkey comes, he looks in, there is a banana, he puts his hand, grabs the banana. And now he cannot take the banana out because his hand is stuck. And then the trapper comes, he won't let go of the banana. Now he's trying to run with the... Does he want to be free? Yes. What do you need to do? Let go of the banana. But I like the banana. So right now what is happening? The trapper puts his net, he has the monkey and his pot, and the trapper eats the banana. God says, do you want to be free? Who will want to be guided into truth if you love your lie? If you love your lie. You enjoy your lie. David wanted to be free. So he said, this is who I am. I pretended a life. This is, I am the great king of Israel. The kind king of Israel. The loving king of Israel. Oh, one of my soldiers died in battle. How can I reward him? Okay, I will take his widow and marry her. Oh, what people must be all thinking. What a gracious king. No, Lord, I want to be free. I want to be free. That's what the Bible is talking about. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. He will not put you to shame. Don't worry about what people say. God will know. Scripture says, as far as the east is from the west, I will just... I'll put it into the deepest part of the, I will remember it no more. So it does not matter what the world says. And that's David. It doesn't matter now what the nation says. God said, I have removed yours. That's it. I am true again. I am true again. That's what I'm saying. He will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. What? Whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. Not only really that, he will keep teaching. Even things that are about to come, he will teach you. He will teach you. He will speak. He will hear from heaven. He will tell you. What more do we want? Right? Verse 14. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Now the problem is, who do you want to be glorified? You want Christ to be glorified or you to be glorified? He says, the problem is this. When the Holy Spirit is speaking, he is always looking for a man who wants to glorify Christ. The problem is all the other apostles and the teachers all wanted to glorify themselves. So their revelations were very few. Paul said, this is my hope in death or life. I want to magnify. God said, I'll tell you everything. And you will read from Romans 1. You go all the way to Philemon or Hebrews if you wrote it. He glorifies Christ in every letter. We want revelations. Do you want to be glorified about our great revelations? And our incredible hard work. This man, when he talks about revelations he heard in heaven, does not mention his name. I, I know a person. Doesn't. Mention who it is. And we assume and we know we are true, it is him. But he's, he's no. Even that, let Christ be glorified. I'll just use me as an exa- as that person, as an example. That's what the Bible is talking. All things the Father has is mine. Therefore I said he will take of mine and declare it to you. And look at what the Holy Spirit does. 
And these kind of words should excite us. Our prayer life should become exciting because you know what? Let me tell you honestly, everybody sitting over here, if Jesus were to appear here today and says, from tomorrow onwards, I will pray with you personally five minutes a day. What time, Lord? Like around five five in the morning, is it okay with you? Lord, any time is okay with you, Lord. Please come and pray with me. We'll pray together. How would change, right? Oh, God is saying, my spirit will pray with you. Let me not excite her. Doesn't excite us. And Paul says, I don't want to know him in the flesh. I want to know him in the spirit. And therefore, I believe, Paul says, I pray more than any one of you. Didn't he say that? Corinthians 14. I pray in understanding. I pray in tongues. And pray in tongues. Why would you pray in tongues more than anybody else? Why don't you pray with understanding? He says, if I pray with understanding, Paul is praying. If I pray in tongues, the spirit is praying. I would rather he pray more than I pray. He's my prayer partner. Even in my prayer life, he says, I will see he's the senior partner. I am the sub-junior partner. Let him pray more. Because at least he knows better than me the will of God. That's a man after God's own heart. And anybody who finds these secrets of what God is offering to us, it changes. Life changes. You know? And he will lead us to all truth. He will t- truth that part. No? Only the Holy Spirit knows us better than us. It will reveal us our flesh. Go to Romans 8 and verse 13. Romans, Romans, not John. Romans 8.13. I got, yeah. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The question is, how do I know what are the deeds I need to put to death? How do I know? What if the spirit shows it? You may say the right thing. And what you said is absolutely right. Only the Holy Spirit will tell you that the tone was wrong. We are not talking about the perfection as in perfection. We are not talking about, we are talking about a life of the spirit. He says, by the spirit, if by the spirit, you put to death the deeds of your body. He says, I understand the struggle with sin. How do you understand? Because I struggle the same way. But you won. Because you are a son of God. He says, no. No. I am as much a son of man as you are. I came in the flesh. But you were in the born of the spirit. He says, aren't you also born of the spirit? But you knew the word. I said, don't you have more? I had 39. You have 27 more. Oh, yes. You have a lot of people who pray together. I had nobody. Even my disciples fell asleep. By the Spirit. Put to death. He says, the deeds of the body. He says, he will empower you. See, You have to read 13 and 14 together, then you will understand why it's so important. For as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Oh, Spirit of God, lead me today, Lord. What do you want me to do? He says, that is not the leading. The first leading is I give you victory over your sin life. That is leading. You look at how they go together. By the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body. 
then you are led by the Spirit of God. It's very easy to be led. <laughs> very easy to be led. It's not difficult to be led. He will empower you to overcome and then He can lead you. So you will hear, you will obey because the flesh is being overcome. Because who is the stumbling block? It's not the devil. It's not the world. It's my flesh. <laughs> my flesh is the stumbling block. The world will be always there. It will only get worse and worse and Meaning for the flesh, the world will only get more and more and more powerful and attractive. The demonic will only get stronger and stronger and stronger. So that is not going to change until Jesus comes. What has to change is my flesh. And he says, I will work with your flesh. I'll kill it. I'll put it to death. But I'll give you the power. You need to walk with me. Ephesians 4.30 The Holy Spirit And Ephesians 1.13-14 to do not, oh, let's go to Ephesians 1 first. 13 to 14. In him also you trust after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. See that? You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchase position to the praise of his glory. He says he was sealed with the Holy Spirit when you are saved. Go to Ephesians 4 and verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do you know what it means? You know how much companies spent on money to create holograms to prove their product is a genuine and not the fake? You have that? No? Hologram, everything. And everybody is worried because you don't know whether the product is really a true product or a fake product. Sometimes the fake looks better than the original. But it is not original until you start working on it. I remember still in my college days in the hostel, <laughs> couple of my friends went shopping. This is in the 80s. In those 80s, no, uh, Adidas and all were like, if you like today, it's all common. But those days, if somebody had an Adidas and all, it was a big thing. They went out shopping in the night and this guy came back and saying, boy, I don't know, remember. He said, I got a pair of Adidas for 1,000 rupees or 1,500 or something and all. Then in the light, he looked, it is not Adidas, it is Adidas. <laughs> so he was the joke of that whole week. Okay, Why? We are also wondering, how did you manage to get for such a good bargain? Everything, shoe looks good. Then somebody turned and looked at the back and said, hey, this is not Adidas, this is Adidas. <laughs> now what a seal means? A seal is a proof that this is a genuine product. It's a genuine product. How do you know your salvation is genuine? It is a seal of the Holy Spirit. At your product, this product is genuine. I have sealed you for the day of redemption. Because there are lots of false products out there. Romans 8, 9. Fake products. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. For if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. doesn't matter how great your theology is, how wonderful your doctrine is. And you can give a record of how many times you read the Bible through. 
What is the proof you are an authentic product? It's the seal of the Holy Spirit. And he says you are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit. The Holy Spirit is our seal. That is a, it's a, belongs that you belong to God. The seal. Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You know what, what it is, no? Old days, I who grew up on the western novels, no? Slap leather or eat crow. Okay? The cattlemen, everything, no? What they would do is that they get this young cattle and there is this branding day when they get all the cattle and they brand them with that branding iron. So every cattle ranch will have their own no, double Y or YX and all, okay, and all the rustlers will always find another brand which they can imitate, no, you have Y has a brand, the rustler will make X, and then he'll get another brand and try to put it exactly over top, top of the Y, so that this fellow's cattle becomes his. Okay, that's the whole western stories of hanging and shooting and killing and rustlers and everything because cattle is big money those days. Okay, that's so how does the rancher know that this cattle belongs to him because of the branding? The branding. So the Bible is talking about it. The Holy Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit. You're branded in your spirit. You're branded in your spirit. Nobody has to tell you. You don't have to doubt your salvation doesn't matter even if you just came in five days ago and never read your Bible in your life. It does not matter. You are still my son. You are my daughter. You are my son. You came in yesterday. You came in today. And that guy has been sitting in the church for 50 years. He has no branding. You are branded, my child. Nicodemus goes out without the branding. The Samaritan woman runs as a daughter of Christ. Nicodemus, when the gospel account ends... Still is mentioned the man who came in the night, Mary Magdalene, who had seven demons and was probably in all terms, those days when she was demon-possessed, lived a very loose life, is now the one who sees the resurrected Lord first. Because she has been branded. That's what the Bible is talking about. What the Holy Spirit does. And this is the person we all neglect. First Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20. <clears throat> Or do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body, in your spirit, which you are God's. Your body and your spirit. He says, doesn't matter what you wear. As soon as the Holy Spirit came in, you became pure. Your body became holy. You know, in the old days, very old days when I was young, I just started my first job in that country. And, uh, in our, that's, that's in the 1980s. And uh, one day this news came, the king is visiting. That's a big thing in a monarchy, you know, his absolute monarchy is coming. So when the king comes in that country, you know, the whole students, everything is clean, decorated, festoons, everything, and everybody stands like this, except we who are Indians. No, we don't stand like that. No, 
we are very polite, no? So they won't even raise their eyes and look. So we are all standing staff and students and everything. So he came nice. Uh, this is the present king's father, okay? He came and he shook hands with me and says, how do you do, sir? Why do you teach? I said English. Then he moved to the next person, okay? After that, he left. You all came to the classroom. The students were saying, sir, sir, we can touch your hands, sir. Sir, can you touch your hands, sir? Oh, sir, if we were you, we wouldn't wash that hand for 10 days, sir. The king shook your hand, sir. This is the king. And he touched your hands. And these kids who are under him, who are his subjects, they don't have that privilege. And they say, he shook hands with you. That's what the Bible is saying. The Holy Spirit has come inside you. Do you understand who you are? You have become holy. Not because of your works. Because of who has come in you. It doesn't matter what you were before. No Bible college, no theological college, nobody would ever pick Mary Magdalene to preach the gospel to the apostles. They wouldn't believe her report if she were to go. Who are you? Demon possessed lady? No. But look at her. Look at what happens when the Spirit comes and God touches you. That's what the Bible is talking about. You were bought at a price. But the key part is, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's the key. You know? What does it mean? You were bought. Meaning, when God puts his seal upon you, he's also saying, you belong to me. It's like the cattleman who bought the cattle, he's branded it, he says, now you're mine. Now you're mine. We don't know. This was the practice in the old days. I don't know whether all his life Joseph had a mark on his body. He says he belonged to Potiphar. It was branded. Because that's how they brand the slaves so they don't run. And when they run, they are identified whom they belong to. Okay. And we do not realize if we were to see inside, we've all been branded. We belong to God. And he bought us. Like I said, we were all on the slave market. Naked in the spiritual realm. Ugly. Naked. We were. That's how in the old days, slave market, they were brought. And these men and women came and prodded with their umbrellas and stick to see any of this thing and asked them all kind of grotesque questions. Stretch your hands, stretch your legs, lift this, lift this, let me see if there's any disease or anything. We don't want to waste our money. That's how they treated them just like cattle. And then if they found they were good, they bought them. And after they bought them, they could use them for anything. And here we were all on the cattle block. And he buys us with his blood. And then you know what he did? He believed in him. He put his spirit in us that we become the temple of the living God. Do people understand what salvation is? The work of the Holy Spirit, your body is. And First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message of priests to save those who believe. I think it was in that I got it wrong. Okay. 
it's basically, okay. The third thing he does is that it makes you secure. It makes you secure. Okay, it doesn't matter. Okay, the third thing that the Holy Spirit does is you're absolutely secure. Your security in life comes from the fact that you belong to God. And you do not fear death anymore. Because what is the greatest fear of the of the prince or the pauper? Why has coronavirus taken everybody out? Everybody is in. Nobody is to be seen. Except the poor ones. They say, if we don't go, we will die of starvation. Better die of COVID than die of starvation. Either way, we are going to die. But all the rich ones have disappeared. You don't see anybody. You don't see any press conferences where all these people want to come out, right? Why? Everybody fears death. You know what the Holy Spirit does? Makes you secure about life. You don't have to fear. You don't have to fear at all. It's taken away completely. Okay. So start. Maybe slow, but steady. Nobody reaches there in one day. But you need to know the way. Jesus said, I am the way. You need to be on that way. And that way you are taken through is by the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit of God who takes you. And everything you and I do, want to do, go to Him. And He helps you. The more you walk on that way, more of Him you receive. Acts 5.32 And we are his witnesses to these things. So also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who He says the more you obey, the more you get him. Why was Jesus filled without measure? Because he was made perfect in obedience. He was obedient to the uttermost. He received the Holy Spirit without measure. Our God, like I said yesterday, is not a miser. However much of my spirit you can handle, I will give you. I will give you. How much you can handle, I will give you. And it's given to those who obey. The problem thing is that the more we obey and we obey and obey deep inside, we are growing further and further and further. And God says, come and fill again and fill again and fill again. So that earlier you won over those big things you thought as sin. Then I started showing you other things. Even the minute things I will be able to show to you. And you will be able to overcome them. You'll be able to overcome them. Because this time and the hour is here, it is coming. Man is going to be tested like never. If those days were not shortened, even the very elect would not escape. So how much more of the spirit do we need? So as we close tonight, I want you to turn to Ezekiel chapter 47. Slow or fast, whichever way you want, but steady growth in the spirit and in the word. 47, verse 1 onwards, 1 to 7. It's a picture of the old covenant final temple, but we are the final temple. And that's a picture Ezekiel sees what the angel shows him. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple towards the east. When we read Revelation 22, we will know this is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Right? Under the threshold of the temple towards east, for the front of the temple faced east, and the water was flowing from the right side of the temple south of the altar. He brought me out by the way of the north gate. 
He led me around of the outside of the outer gateway that faced east, and there was water running out on the right side. When the man, man went out to the east with the line in his hand, he measured 1,000 cubits and he brought me through the waters and the water came to me to my ankle. So the Holy Spirit is leading this believer through the Spirit. And when he had gone 1,000 cubits, it came down to his ankles. He measured 1,000. It was, yeah, he measured 1,000. Water came up to my knees. The water came up to my knees. He measured 1,000 again. He brought me through. The water came up to my waist. He measured 1,000. It was a river I could not cross. For the water was, you know, it bent. Water was too high. He measured 1,000. It was a river I could not cross. For the water was too deep. Water in which one must swim. A river that could not be crossed. And verse 6, he said, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me and returned me to the bank of the river. And when I river returned, there along the bank of the river were many trees on one side and the other. You will see it's kind of the same picture of Revelation 22. What is God is talking? He says, I will lead you into the spirit, in the spirit. And it will rise, it will rise, meaning it will take more and more and more and more control of your life. And then when you walk in your spirit, your life will be fruitful. Your life will be fruitful. He says, this is the life of the spirit. And that's a picture of the temple of Ezekiel. It's a, it's a spiritual picture. But the problem is that, he says, let me lead you into this. Lot of people, what happens is from the bank, they jump into the middle of the river. And then they are about to drown. He says, no, I told you. Step by step by step. You know? They came in today. They want to preach tomorrow. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. God says, chill. Chill. Let me lead you through this. I know you. You can handle my spirit. You can handle. I will lead you. I will, I will guide you through this way. 1000 feet, 1000 feet, ankles, came to the knees, came up to the waist, and then came to a point. Even that man could not, meaning nobody can contain the Holy Spirit. It's not possible. But the thing is that as you walk in the spirit, like if you ever tried walking in water, have you noticed when you walk in water, the deeper you go into the water, you're losing more and more control. Less and less and control. That's what I'm saying. That's where he says, after a point, he had to swim. Because you have no choice. You can't stand anymore. You have to swim. Okay? That's what the Bible is talking about. Walking in the spirit, you know. You lose more. And In the beginning, God will allow you to have control. Allow you to have control. He says, okay, you'll be in control. Spirit of man is in control. As you go further and further and further and further, you know, you also willingly give over more and more and more and control the Holy Spirit because you realize, you know what, that is the safest. The safest thing, no? Safest thing. God has turned his face away from Jesus on the cross. He cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But even when God has forsaken him, in many ways, on the cross, he commits his spirit. Through the Holy Spirit, he commits his spirit into the Father's hands. And he dies without fear. Without fear. This is this incredible life God is offering to his children. Incredible life. He says, come, drink. This is what Jesus was talking about. Come and drink. And rivers of living water shall flow. Why are you so afraid? What are you afraid of? What are you so afraid of? 
Yes, when you are young, we are afraid, scared. You know, 22 year, 22, 23 year young man at minus degree holding a bed holder and a big suitcase and standing at 6.30 in the night at the bus station knowing nobody decided, you know what, I want to start my life on my own. Enough. I want to got a job. I want to start. Never spoken before. Never taught before. Never seen these kids before. Lord, have mercy on me. You know. But of course there is fear when you start with God. They were all afraid. Scripture says they were all gathered and locked inside because of the fear of the Jews. And Jesus came. He says, peace, don't be afraid, it's me. And what did he do? He preached upon them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Still they were discouraged. He says, you know, understand, I'm not blaming any of you in back fishing, you know, I understand all that. Don't worry, I understand all that. But I have a solution. You know what the solution is? Wait in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit will come. When the Holy Spirit comes and you are filled, you won't be afraid. You won't run again. You won't run again. You will know what life is and how to handle this world. You will learn. This is the one I promised. He is coming. He will be in you and he will be with you. That is the Christian life. The life of a Christian is not theory. It's a real life of the Spirit. And you don't have to even judge somebody else, measure yourself with somebody else because everybody has been cut his own life. You stand with before God and explain your life. You don't have to worry about somebody increasing or decreasing. There is no room for any of these things. That is the beauty of it because the same spirit is working in everybody but differently. Internally with flesh, it is working the same way. But works, it differs. So you don't have to bother about it. Amen? Shall we pray? Father, this evening we just come to you, Lord. We thank you, Father. We just thank you. Thank you, Father. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the very Holy Spirit himself, is there with everyone who is listening. One call away. One knock away. You said, ask and you shall receive. Seek, you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. He said, you fathers, being evil, know how to give good things to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit? Father, that's our need, Lord. We need more of your Spirit, Lord. And we know, Lord, we have grieved you in so many ways. But you have not left. And you have not taken your Spirit from us. But we ask you today, Lord, cleanse us, sanctify us, and Spirit of God, come into us, Lord. Each day, fill us, Lord. Change our life. Change both sides of our life and make it whole. That we have one life before thee. Our prayer life and our work life. That night and day, Lord, it will be one whole. Change our prayer life, Lord. That's my prayer, Lord. Change my, change our prayer life, Lord. You be our prayer partner. You will never leave us. You will never say, I'm too busy. You will never tell us, you need to adjust your timings with me. You will never say any of these things. You are the one who will pray with us anytime, always. Help us, Lord, to start there. Invite you into a prayer closet. Allow you to pray with you and pray. Allow you to pray through us. 
So one day we too can tell like your servant, I pray in the spirit more than any one of you. It doesn't matter whether we pray more than any one of us, but we pray in the spirit more than anything else. In this last hour, this world needs people who pray in the spirit. They need an army of praying warriors rising. And I believe you are adding people everywhere into the church. The people whom the world call riffraff. The people whom the world call prostitutes. The people whom you, the world call good for nothing men. Drug addicts. Rejects. But you are making them your prayer warriors. You are filling them with your spirit. And you will use them. To bring forth your kingdom on earth. It was a praying church that turned Jerusalem upside down. It was a praying church that turned the world upside down. It was a church that was praying. It caused the angel to go into the prison and set Peter free. Many, many captives will come out. When a church that prays and praises arises. And Paul and Silas were praying. And praising. That's when the chains of all the prisoners came off. This whole world lies under the power of the wicked one. People are captives. Dead in their sins and in their trespasses. As of now. Children of wrath. Only a praying church can set them free. And I pray Father. This time that you have given the church which may never come again. A time to be in their homes. A time to be shut down with God will be a time of prayer. Spirit of God, come and fill us, Lord. Fill us, Lord, each day. Fill us. Help us to deal with our flesh. And through you, Lord, we'll put to death the deeds of the flesh. We live in the Spirit. We'll pray in the Spirit. We'll learn of the Spirit. We'll walk in the Spirit. And you will bring forth the glory of your Son on earth, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you. To that end, I commit all the hearers, Lord, here, everywhere. Let them start their walk today. Lead them, Lord, into that waters. Let the waters slowly rise. Let them feel that coolness, the incredible strength that comes. And the Holy Spirit flows into our inner being, Lord. Spirit of God, come, Lord. You are our strength. You are our might. You are our power. Because you told Zechariah prophetically, it's not by might. It is not by power. It is by my spirit. This mountain shall be moved. Come, Spirit. Move this mountain of unbelief. Move and put to death this mountain of flesh. Come, Spirit of God, move in us. And then, Lord, move through us. Wherever your children are crying out now, Lord, move. In their soul, in their body, move. Move that sicknesses out. 
move that low esteem out. They are precious in your sight. Sealed ownership has changed. Sealed by the very seal of God till the day of redemption. Let them feel, Lord, in the inner man. Let them cry out, Abba, Father. Many of them who are listening today probably never had a father in their lives. And if they had, they were abusive, nasty, evil, wicked men. But today, Lord, Spirit of God, let them cry out to their true father, their father in heaven, who paid the price for their freedom, the blood of his own son. Let them cry out to that father, Abba. And they will hear in their inner man that you love them. You love them. You care for them. You will never leave them. Let them be absolutely secure in the love of their father that he does not care what the world says anymore. Only thing that matters is what you say. For you always have the final word. And your word is final. Let there be that freedom in the lives of your children. And every day, Lord, each one of us strive to give lordship to the Holy Spirit. Where your spirit says, your word says, where the spirit is Lord, there is true liberty. And liberty is there only where the spirit is Lord. So come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord, Spirit of God, come take over our lives that we walk in liberty, walk in freedom. Thank you, Father. Thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We glorify you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Let no one be discouraged. Let everyone's heart be lifted up. Because all things are possible with God. And your word says, all things are possible with him or her who believes. For the Father gives the Spirit without measure. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We give you glory, honor, power, praise. It's all yours and yours alone, O oh Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.